You know, um, this is fun. I love, I love this time of year more than any in my, I just love spring. I love when things are coming together and I love summer. And it's so great to, to see how God just, you know, you see the sunshine and just beautiful weather and things such as that. So, um, I just pray that you, you know, my prayer is that we, um, have a great summer together and, and, and really grow deep in our faith with each other and live out some of the things that we'll be talking about. In April, I had the opportunity to fly back from the Bay Area, the San Francisco area, and I was flying back, a three and a half hour flight, and I had always wanted to watch, I had been told about this movie, Hacksaw Ridge. I'm not one that likes a lot of blood and guts and things like that, so I was, you know, kind of not sure, you know, did I want to go see it in the theater, and I finally it came out of the theaters, but I'm on this plane, and I see that it's there, and I thought, man, I want to watch this. I want to see this, and so... I um, start, you know, got everything set, and I was just about to do it, and then I thought, oh, boy, this could be rather graphic. So I looked around, there were no kids next around near me, and I looked, and there was a lady sitting next to me, and so I felt like it was my duty, in a sense, to just mention, I'm going to be watching this film, it's really, you know, et cetera, I explained quickly, and she just looked at me, and she said, no problem, I watch things worse than that. <laughs> and I thought to myself, uh-oh, am I sitting next to Lizzie Borden? What's going on here, you know? Well, this movie, Hacksaw Ridge, is a true story of a man named Desmond T. Doss who served World War II in the Battle of Okinawa, specifically Hacksaw Ridge, and he did so as an army medic. Um, He grew up with a a brother, and around nine or ten years of age, these two brothers, as brothers would, were fighting, and he actually took a rock or something like that and hit him on the head and in that fight and almost killed him. And his parents, his dad, who is an old war vet, and he is an alcoholic and all this other stuff, it wasn't a good home, just really shamed him. And as he was walking away, he saw what they had as a Christian family. They were being raised in the Christian faith. Um, Saw this Bible verse with the Ten Commandments, and the one that just impacted him, because what he just did was the words, Thou shalt not kill. And so he vows at that point in his life never to harm another human life again. And then Pearl Harbor happens, and Pearl Harbor with the war and the the spirit of enthusiasm to get out and to serve the country in his little town. All kinds of people were enlisting. He wanted to, and he enlisted as well. Um, and, And so he did. And at first, as he was there, because he enlisted as a pacifist, so he's, he's serving in, in the army as a conscious and conscientious objector. And so as he's there, the officers gave him a really hard time for being a coward, yet he passed every requirement that was needed, and, and he excelled beyond even some of the toughest guys in his training. And at one point, they came to the end, and it was time for them to be graduating, and he wasn't able to graduate because he refused He refused to clear his firearms training. He would not shoot a bullet, which led to all kinds of difficulties. Eventually, um, the superiors coming to a point saying they needed to court-martial him because he was standing against military orders. And so that was all in place. And his dad, an old war vet, got a hold of the guy he served with, who was rather high in rank. And this guy, I'm blowing the movie for you, but that's too bad. Um, This guy, high in rank, uh, intervenes, and he's not court-martialed. He's actually given the ability to go overseas and he serves as an army medic, determined to save lives. And so then you have the scene and he's on Hacksaw Ridge, which is this huge cliff. 
that they had to take in Okinawa. And it's this tug of war that goes back and forth. And the Japanese actually called it the reign of steel because there was so much iron flying around. And at one point, as they had taken the ridge and it went back again and they were retreating, command was given to, to fall back. Everyone left and he stood, he was at the edge of their, that cliff wanting to make sure everybody could get off. He wanted to get every last person off. And as he was, was there, he heard the cries of the wounded and he went after some of the wounded and he went and got a few and he came to the edge. They're alone and there was just a few guys down at the bottom and they see this, this guy, um, beginning to rope down another wounded person and and he continued to do that and and now friendly fire the the bombs are going off and exploding around him from his own ships and he's still listening for the wounded and he's pulling wounded even takes some japanese wounded soldiers down and and lows them down at one point he's exhausted he he's he's put down a number of people and his hands are bloodied and he's bringing back one more he gets done and he's just sitting there exhausted and he starts to he just whispers a prayer to god he says god lord Help me get one more, please. Help me get one more. And so he continues to get more until he has single-handedly rescued 75 people. In fact, um, veteran Carl Bentley, who was at Hacksaw Ridge with him, said, it is as if God had his hand on Doss's shoulder. It's the only explanation I can give. For his living. And the movie clip ends with um, this guy, Captain Jack Glover, who was with him in training and, and actually was rather abusive and shaming to him. Now, at the end of the movie, they're in their later years and he's praising him. And he basically says, He's the bravest man I know. And the irony of it all was that he saved my life that day. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. Here's a guy who held to his conviction and did whatever it takes. Last week I asked him for us to think about this, and we'll be thinking about this in a couple weeks to come, and that is to imagine a church that does whatever it takes. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve the West Metro in the name of Christ. We defined West Metro, but it doesn't mean that it's just that. It means just like here's your Jerusalem. God, if we can't do it in our own home, if we can't do it where we live, um, we need to do it here if we're going to do it elsewhere. And it's more not just kind of a boundary as much as it is it kind of pulsates out wherever God will take us. Imagine, picture with your mind, envision with the eyes of your heart, Sometimes Paul would pray that I pray that you would see with the eyes of your heart, which is kind of open your imagination. It's an incredible gift that God has given you and let him put a picture of what he has called you to do into your heart. Let him do that as a church, as a community of people who come together saying, God, we want to do whatever it takes. Because very little gets done from the vision aspect and what you imagine unless you have some kind of whatever-it-takes servant heart. You need a whatever-it-takes mindset, often to bring something that might be an a ethereal kind of imaginary vision to a place where it becomes reality. So what are the marks of a whatever-it-takes servant? That's kind of what I was thinking about. You know, in the Bible, there's all kinds of whatever-it-takes servants. You can go through and see all kinds of these whatever-it-takes servants, but I thought, let's just 
take the book of Acts and, and those first followers of Jesus because they had to take this concept that, that God, through Jesus, had breathed into their heart. Jesus had told them and he gave them these marching orders of what they're to do and they had to take it and, and they had to move the church into a place where it became the reality in the community God had seen it to be. And the book of Acts is really just a shortened title for the acts of the Holy Spirit through ordinary men and women. That might be a good title to put it. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through ordinary men and women just like you and me. And so what are some of those marks? The very first mark that I find as you go through this is they were marked by a sense of call. Every one of them, in some sense or another, had a sense of call. 120 were packed in a room waiting and praying, each of them, not just the 11 disciples, because one of them was no longer their Judas, but those 11 sensed the call of Jesus on their hearts. He had given them their marching orders. He said, go make followers, and, and everywhere you go, make followers. This is your mission field. It's at home, at work, it's your family, it's in your neighborhood, it's your grocery store. It's at the gas station. It's the person that is at work that you just can't stand because they keep bothering you. Whatever it is. Jesus said, I want you to go. And when you go, I want you to help them understand the love that God has for you. That you are a person who loves God and loves others. And he said, begin in Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And on this mountain, just before Jesus ascends, and they're all gathered there, and he says these things. These are their marching orders as they are to leave, this sense of call. And they stand there looking until the angels actually break it up. They kind of say to him, well, guys, what are you looking at? The party's over. Jesus is gone, so I want you to go home and do whatever it takes to make happen what he's just told you. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, if you read these verses, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, and were told. There was a group numbering about 120. And Jesus said to wait there till the Spirit filled them and they were to go out and they were to fulfill the call that Jesus had placed on their hearts. They were called. They were marked with a sense of call. No one I know, no one I know becomes whatever it takes kind of servant until they have what I would call a whatever it takes kind of call from Jesus. And I know that sounds really harsh. But face it, unless you've had some kind of truly born-again experience where Jesus has gotten a hold of your heart and you understand your forgiveness and you understand what's going on, Jesus and the church and, 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 and all the stuff we do is merely religion. It's usually just putting in some time. It's not the same thing as saying, God, I can't believe it that you love me, a sinner who has nothing. I didn't have, want anything to do with you. In fact, so often throughout my day, I still find myself wandering and going and doing things that are just displeasing to you. And yet you called me. There was a certain point in my life I understood that you loved me so much and you revealed yourself to me and I had some kind of encounter with you and in that encounter, my heart was changed and converted. There was a sense that I said, God, whatever it is, you just tell me whatever it takes. I want to serve you. And I want to do that with other people. This call comes differently for everybody. We kind of get these things in our mind. And some, for some, it's really an ecstatic, supernatural experience. It's like the Apostle Paul, who has this vision, and he's just like God. And, and for some, 
for some of you. It's a very, it was something as you were growing in your younger years, you just, it kind of, you you knew about faith in Christ and you kept growing. And it's a very rational, uh, maybe not very emotional. It's it's much more of a um, reasonable kind of choice that says, I understand and I give my life. But if you don't have that sense of call, I just ask you to think about it for a second. If you're going to do whatever it takes in your heart and your life, for something, you need to have that kind of call. And not only individually do you need to have that sense of call, but you actually need to have it as a community of believers. It's communities of believers that, that actually make a difference in their communities that they live within are the communities that are made up of people who come together and say, here are my gifts, here's what I have, I want to do whatever it takes to help the love and forgiveness that I've experienced begin to flow through me. And you find that out throughout the Bible. In fact, the very first church, the Church of Jerusalem, they have this sense of call. This 120 plus are, are together and they, they each have a sense of what Jesus has called them to do. And that's the church that kind of it, it births all, in a sense, the, the ministry that Jesus had placed on their hearts. And it grew into what this would be like a multi-site community of churches, you know, in that area until Jesus at one point allows for persecution to come because he says, guys, I didn't want it just in Jerusalem. I wanted it in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so this persecution comes and we're told that they are scattered. And so for years, this destiny that Jerusalem had was this mother church. And there's a group of people who go up to a city called Antioch. And they are, again, a group of individuals. They're called. They have the sense of call. And in the sense of call, they begin to reach that, that city called Antioch. And Antioch at that time was the third largest city in the world. It was 500,000 people made up of people from, who are Jews and, and those who are not Jews, Gentiles. And, and, and they're all coming together and they're seeing God do this incredible work. And at one point, they, they stop and they say, this is so cool. This is so wonderful what God's doing. And they, I think they kind of stop. And if you read in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, they stop and they Say, but but why? Maybe we should stop and, and pray and ask God. What does He want us to do? This is really cool what He's doing through us. And so, in Acts chapter thirteen, listen to this: verses one to three. Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers who I think were saying, "Help us imagine. Give us a picture. Tell us what you want us to do." And so, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them so that after they have fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And Antioch becomes a sending church. Sending them throughout the world, planting church after church after church. With a whatever-it-takes kind of vision because they are whatever-it-takes kind of servants with a sense of a call. I have to share with you, when I came here as your pastor, I was in that process of deciding um, whether I should give up a job that was really kind of sweet because I was living here and going back and forth to Florida, so I got the best of every world. And I remember I did a funeral, and it was for a young mother who had taken her life and left a couple of middle school-aged boys. And, and it was one of those times when I preached and I was sharing that I actually felt like I could stand outside myself. It just, and I, I'm going, wow, God, you're good. You know, it was just God was so communicating. And I got done and I prayed and I, I was here walking like this. And I heard not a voice, a deep impression in my heart is the best way to say it. I don't know how God speaks and how he does this. It's really cool. But he just said, this is what I've called you to do and this is where I called you to do it. 
And I have to share with you, as we've gone through some years of God doing some things, purifying my heart, humbling me, doing things that need to be done in my heart, doing things that he need to be done in this body, doing things that need to be done in your hearts, I am so grateful for that call because I never had anything so clear in my life. And I needed that. And I just say to you, I don't think you're here by mistake. I believe God has a sense of call, has for many years, and God's been doing things through this church for many years. But I believe there's times and seasons and there's times when you move into a place where God wants to move a group of people into a new destiny. And I believe that's true. And I believe you are very important. And you are here because God has called you here. And God is calling us to do something. So those people who are up in the cabins, make sure you tell them this, okay? (laughs) So whatever it takes has a sense of call, but it also comes with a spirit of determination. That's another mark. There is this call, and then there's this deep conviction. This deep conviction that what God has called me to do, I'm going to face him someday and be responsible to say, yeah, here was my life, I gave it to you, and, and you asked for me to, to do and to be involved and to do these things, and so I'm going to stand before you. So there's this deep conviction that, boy, I've got to do this, whatever it takes. There's a spirit of determination. You know the word determination actually has the root word deter in it, D-E-T-E-R? which basically means this idea that you will, be not on, you will not be deterred from what you sense you're called to do. Nothing will stop it. In fact, if you read through the story of Paul in Acts, this is incredible. If you just you know, read through the story of he's, he's called by Jesus, he's got these friends, he's persecuting the church, now they all leave him, and now he goes to the people that he's called to be with, and they don't want anything to do with him. It's his call, he's lonely, and then he's out here, and he's beaten, and he's this and that. But nothing would deter him from fulfilling what God had called him to do. And I was thinking about it. You know, here is Paul throughout Acts. You just see him planting church after church. And I thought to myself, do you think that the Starbucks of CEO, Howard Schultz, was the first to imagine a Starbucks on every corner? I think he got that from Paul. I mean, Starbucks' success fascinates Wall Street and business schools do all kinds of studies on it because they are dominating the world for some 18,000 stores in 60 countries, generating over $13 billion. And I thought to myself, seriously, that's nothing compared to the hundreds of thousands of churches across the world over the past 2,000 years that have generated billions and billions of dollars, not by selling some nice little coffee, but by people giving their lives due to the call that Jesus had on them to feed the poor, to heal the sick, to build orphanages, to to build schools and, and to serve in all kinds of ways, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to love your enemy, to pray for them, to do good for them, to do whatever it takes. And he did this for, you know, think over 2,000 years, all the churches on every street corner that have been built. And I just, I go, Wow. You know, Jim Collins writes a book, Built the Last. He should have studied this church. Because talk about being built the last. Because people fasted and prayed and allowed God to use their imagination to determine a vision. The church, full of whatever it takes kind of servants, chose to obey. And that's why we're a church today. Because of other people. 
Now, determination is expressed in a number of ways, so I'm just share with you some of those ways that you can see this, what I call the spirit of determination. When you have this kind of conviction, one of it is this. You will do whatever it takes to devote yourself to growth. You are about a person who wants to grow in Jesus. You will avail yourself to the opportunities that allow for you to say, how can I be more grounded? How can I become more strong in, in knowing God's word and in, 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 in serving with the gifts that he's been given to me? Wherever I go, where I work now is the place where it, it is my mission field. And, and my family first, is, if they don't experience my love, then there's something wrong about this. But they do whatever it takes. If you read Acts chapter 2, there's these great verses that show right from the very beginning how, um, how committed they were, determined they were, how convicted they were. And one of those, those, those expressions of it is in their desire to grow. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs and performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. They held everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to share with you one of the things that we as a church body desire to do. We, we, we talk about our culture. Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. And we've been talking, you know, we have our, our mission. There's some commitments that we're asking our people to make. Because we feel this kind of commitment, the determination expresses itself in desire to grow. And there's three things we're just asking to think about doing and to make a part of your life. And, and the, the first is worship. To see your life as an act of worship, every day, every hour, every breath you take, every place you go, is an opportunity for you to say, God, here's my life, I'm worshiping you with it. And yet, we want you to think about this too. And, and we want you to think about not just your whole life, but we want to think of, we come together once a week, and we're asking and challenging you to think about making a habit of saying, I want to come to be with God's people, and to worship God. I just, I know, and I, this isn't a legalistic thing, guys. That's not what it's about. It's about, in our culture, in our day, it is so easy to let us go, you know, I can do this, I can do that. It really is. I um, was talking with a, a, a young parent who asked me a question about a buddy that he has who has three kids and they're really young and, and the fact that they're not going to church and just asked me, what do you think of that? You know, and I, I was a little bit, I wasn't really sure of answering, but I've been thinking about it for quite a while, the last few days. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know what's really interesting about that is it's hard to get young families, your kids here to church. You know, that's a lot of work, right? But I can tell you, it's not going to get easier when they're five, seven, and nine. It's easier to get them here when they're crying and they can't do much. And you go, well, what's that about? Because you're helping them determine some habits that are really good for their heart and soul. And I I can only tell you that I remember when I was a kid and we went to church practically every day. My, my, we would go to Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. And obviously it didn't have as much to do and as mobile, etc., but I remember going to Wednesday night, and, and my mom would take us to prayer meeting. 
And I was like four or five in a pain, and my brother was seven or so, and he was not much better than me. And I can tell you, I bet you there's many nights, she said, this is just a wasted couple hours. This is so hard to get in. I can tell you there's probably many times she goes, I just, I'm just, why go and not go? But I can tell you this. I didn't get anything that they were praying about. I got this sense of there's passion. These people, there was something going on. The Spirit of God was at work. I truly believe that today one of the passions I have for prayer is because I had a mom who said, I'm going to put him in the environment where he experiences the Spirit of God. So we're just saying worship. Another one we're talking about is community. One of the other values we really want to kind of hold out and say, people, if you're thinking about things that you should do in the church, we want you to be at worship. We want you to be in community. By community, you live your life in community. You authentically relate to one another. There's people at work. We're hoping you develop really good, healthy, honest, truthful, God-honoring relationships. But we're also asking you not just to do that as a life, but that you take time to meet with some other believers where you open your life, you get honest with them, you talk about God's word together, and you develop friendships that form faith in the journey and then the third thing is service our lives are to be a service unto god everywhere we go we're to use our gifts but we're also asking you to think about is there a place god where you are calling me where i am specifically whether it's in the church or outside the church to use the gifts you've given me those three things we're asking people for these three commitments and I see this in people who want to grow. And if you read Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to God's teaching and to fellowship, to prayer. Whatever it takes kind of people also look for opportunities to serve others. Their eyes are looking for places they can say, God, use me here. If you go through Acts, you come to Acts chapter 3, at one point Peter and John are walking through the temple. It's around prayer time about 3 p.m. because that's when they would gather and so they would meet there to pray. And as they're going through a gate called Beautiful, they walk by and here's a guy who's begging. I'm sure he was begging when Jesus came by. Um, Jesus healed. Everyone he, he healed, God healed. But there were people, I'm sure he walked by. You have to know that because there are certain times where, where people wouldn't call out. Their hearts weren't even calling out to God. But they walk by, they see him, Peter sees him, prays with him, and God heals this crippled guy. Because people who are marked with the spirit of determination, not only are committed to grow, but they express it by saying, God, how can I, whatever it takes, wherever it is, whoever it is, however, the spirit directs or nudges or whispers quietly in my ear, whatever it takes, servants will follow by keeping their eyes open to where God is at work. And stepping in. Another thing is whatever it takes servants, don't let setbacks set them back. They're very resilient. You find that as well in the book of Acts. You, you, you see the same story as it threads through chapter 4 and 5. And at one point in chapter 4, um, the priests and the Sadducees hear what they've done with this crippled guy. They don't like it because they're saying the name of Jesus. They're actually telling them, hey, guess what, guys? You killed Jesus. That doesn't make people real happy. So they bring him before the Sadducees, they set him up, and, and it says in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 3, they seize Peter and John, and they put them in jail until the next day. A little bit further in the story, in Acts chapter 5, 41 and 42, they keep talking about Jesus, and there again it says the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin, but this time they didn't just kind of slap him on the wrist, they actually had him flogged. 
Now, I think if it was you or me, when we feel a little persecution, we feel a little bit, we kind of go, eh, I'm going to step back on this one. But they just continued to press in. And it says in, in verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, listen to the response, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So they had this sense of determination to grow, and they were looking for opportunities where they could share Jesus and they could live this life and love others like Jesus loved us. And then they, when they had the setbacks, they, they were resilient enough to say, I'm not going to just kind of back off. And some might be in a place right now in your life where you've kind of, you've been stung because you've been out there and you were serving the Lord and something happened. And it could even be God's own people coming against you. And, and, and you need to move to a place where forgiveness and restoration and, and all that has to take place Because those who do whatever it takes will do whatever it takes to get right back in and say, God, I'm your servant. I I have been given these gifts and nothing is going to stop me from serving you. Which leads to this last mark. This last mark is, is, is not, there's a sense of call, there's a spirit of determination, and this last mark is what I call as a prayer for boldness. You see it in their lives. What I think is really interesting is you go through this story, they, they come back at one point, they have been put in prison, in chapter 4, verses 23 through 31 is this story. They have been threatened, intimidated, and they're filled with fear. And what's the first thing they do? Listen to these words. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. Now, you got to get this picture because you get this idea of these guys going, oh, we just get beat up and man, we're ready to step back in. They were scared to death. I, I wish you could put into parentheses there. They were just like you and me. They're, they're not like, these guys, you know, God picked these really bold people. These, they were on their knees praying for boldness because they were scared to death to stop and, and to move back into that. And let me tell you what they had to do. They pray for boldness. The very first thing they do is they pray. One of the things that we're using for a strategy is our, in our... In our um, as our staff in our ministry strategic plan is that one of our, we have three things. One is that we will, we will be a church that prays first. That's, that's the very first thing. We're going to be a church that, when it comes to any decision, when it comes to anything, we, are, we will somehow bring together and pray first. We want God to, to be the first one to speak to us about what we're to do. And then we talked about another thing that we want to be as a church this year as we, as staff, and I hope you'll hear this as a, as a lay leader, is, is that we want to be a church that actually invites people, whether it's into small groups or whether it's into a Wednesday night cover-to-cover study, whether it's into a worship service or, or whatever, but we're going to invite people because we want to help them because we really believe that many people are just one ask away from the goodness of God. And we want to be a church that... Um, that innovates, and we use the word innovate because the word, I like the word risk, but we don't want to be recklessly risky. We want to innovate, and since we want to thoughtfully say, God, what is it you want us to do that maybe you've never called us to do before? So they pray first. What I think is really interesting is that when they came back, the first thing they did was fall on their knees, I think, out of fear. They didn't say, grab the whiteboard and let's start to plan this thing out. 
They didn't all gather together. I can't believe the government policies and they're doing this to us. I mean, if it was me, and you, you, you can just see them. Well, we need a different PR campaign. You know, let's, let's really you know, lower the uh, killing Jesus rhetoric and let's soften the message a little bit. They didn't. They prayed for boldness. Isn't this how they did it? Listen to this in Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 28. They started out, after they turned them in prayer, they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, which is just a bunch of quotes from like Nehemiah and Job and and Isaiah 37. It's a very similar verse, so they they know their word of God. Because honestly, we really believe if you get the word of God in your head, you really know the word of God, the word of God will guide you. And the word of God will keep you in your imagination from going to places of fear. The imagination of of the God who knows, when you know the word of God, anchors you in truth. And they let the eyes of their heart be captured with this accurate picture of God, sovereign God. Listen to how they continue. They, they continue and they, they, they talk about these words from um, Nehemiah, Job, and Isaiah, and then they move to David and the Psalms. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. We, we are aware of this. This isn't new to us. We're not really taken by surprise. Because he even said, when he was serving you, why did the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one, in this sense, Jesus, but also his church. And from these thoughts, they turn to another thought. and they, So they're rehearsing. They're going, you're the sovereign Lord. You made it all. You're the sovereign Lord who in David, who was following you, also had all kinds of people come against him. And now they turn to their own experience, something they just had. And they're saying, and, and here, listen to what they say. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, which were the with Romans, really. And, and, and the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed and they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Even as powerful and great as Herod and Pilate and the Roman army and the religious leaders they're praying, even they're conspiring to put your son to death. You were well aware of and in fact you allowed it and used it for your good. Yours and my salvation. That we would know forgiveness of sins. And they're praying this out. And and they're saying your forgiveness unleashed a power that's in us. And you can see their hearts moving from a place of fear to a place of seeing in their imagination this incredibly big God who's in control of everything that's happened, who's in control of what's just happened to them. And at this point, they turn to God. Listen to what's, what's here. Now... And I'll put in parentheses, like you did in the past and you did through Jesus, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And I love the next line. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We want you, Father, to act as you did through Jesus because we, the church, are now Jesus to the earth and to this world and to the people around us. So, Father, would you stretch out your hand and, and do miracles because those kind of things get the attention of the lost. Not, we're not asking you to do it for us, but we're asking you to do it for those who don't know. We, we're going to ask that when we pray, we're going to expect in faith that, God, you're going to do some things for people. You're going to work in their marriages. You're going to work in their families. You're going to work in their illnesses. You're going to work because when you do that kind of thing, they go, whoa. 
And it acts as a sign. We want to see signs. And, and, and those signs, when you do it, and we can talk about it, and they go, wow, that was incredible. They point to Jesus. That's why they use the words wonders, signs, and miracles. Because the miracles cause this sense of going, whoa. And, and the signs then point to Jesus. And then they are caused to wonder to go, I can't believe this God. He's really personal. He's really real. He's really good. So, so they say, the first thing they do is they pray. And they say, God, give us boldness, which is the mark of a whatever it does takes kind of person and then they say God with this boldness as we step out out of our comfort zones as we as we begin to do things that maybe we're not so comfortable doing like we say to a person who may be struggling at work and say you know what could I I could I pray for your marriage and and I can promise you if you do it in the right way people do not say don't pray for me and you start to pray and say you know Lord I just and you pray the prayer for him And then watch, I encourage you, watch Jesus work. Be bold. Because that's what we want to do as a church. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes because very, very little of deep significance is accomplished without an all-out commitment. One of the things when I came into ministry, I said, God, I do not want to play church. Meaning by that, I I want more than anything for you to move in such a way that we are the church, the people of God that release the works of God. And we're not here trying to make programs and music and trying to write, write and develop a message that people will like necessarily, although it's so tempting for all of us to do stuff like that. But imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve the West Metro in the name of Christ. See, imagination without whatever it takes servants is just another good idea. And vision without whatever it takes servants who are called with conviction and courage, if they don't have that, they just end up as some nice dreams. You know, as everyone, um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward, and I just want to share with you, um, I, I send this message out when I'm done to about five or six different people in our congregation, some on the worship team, and I ask them all the time to, you know, edit it, help me out. Um, if there's things that I should cut out, and, and they're very gracious, you know. I said, be, be, you know, I, like an artist, you know, be kind. But um, I got this back from one of the persons that I send it to, and they said, you know, that movie, when I watched the movie, it just gripped me, and, and, and the person said, as everyone was fleeing the ridge... This is right at the end when they have this call. This is, they're, they're, they're called to retreat. And Desmond stops. Everyone's going down. He wants to make sure everyone gets off before he, he's going to be the last one to go down. And he stops and he looks back at all the carnage. He knows there's wounded men out there. And with tears in his eyes, he's staring into utter defeat. They've, they've lost the ground. And he's there and he speaks to the Lord and he says, I don't get it. I can't hear you, Lord. What do you want me to do? Ever been in that place? I'd be right there right now. I don't get what's going on in my work world. I don't get what's going on with this illness. I don't get what's going on with this relationship. And it was in that moment that everything went silent and Desmond began to hear the cries of the wounded. And it was in that moment of silence when he realized what God was calling him to do. 
And this friend who reads these said, I think many of us face situations like that when we are pursuing what we believe is what God wants us to be doing and only to stare into utter defeat as everything seems to be growing wrong. We don't understand why things aren't going according to plan since it's something we were called to do. And that is when we need to get silent and really listen to what it is that God wants us to do. We're going to close in prayer and sing this song, Jesus Paid It All. But you may need to just retreat for a moment in your own heart and say, God, I want to be a whatever-it-takes servant. And you may need to get silent as we sing this song. And you may need to through this week and say, God, I just, I've been out of the game, I want to get in it. Or I've been staring defeat in the face, I want to get in it. Or I've been tempted to kind of get off course, but I want to get in it. I just would ask you to make um, this moment as we sing an opportunity for the Lord to actually meet with you and to do business in your heart. Let's stand together and sing this.